changed countless lives through his healing ministry during his three years when he was doing his ministry. He changed the life of a, of a man named Paul. And I won't go into all those details, but you understand if, if you have read the Bible what those changes brought about. But in, in, a, in a kind of a general, general global way, for the Jews of Jesus' day, his presence brought on changes that were the beginning of the end of some things. They were the beginning of the end of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. That agreement or that covenant that God had with the Jewish people was changing. And that change also involved the beginning of the end of law or legalism and brought upon grace and love. Jesus of Nazareth was, was the fulfillment of Israel's messianic hope. And that in him, the long-awaited redemption had arrived. It was also the beginning of the end of the Levitical priesthood. Going to God had only been through the priests, and the priests had to be from the tribe of Levi. And it was the end of that era, the beginning of the priesthood of all believers. We can all go to Jesus. And it was the beginning of the end of animal sacrifices. I know in today's culture it seems so bizarre to think about that, but that was God's plan. But then he ended it no longer did sins get addressed or or atoned for through the death of animals. From self-righteousness to true righteousness. From preoccupation with self to genuine concern for others. And it was also the beginning of the end of temple-centered worship from dead religious tradition to life in the spirit, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, not just religious traditions and traditional places. And then in a broad way, it was from being served to serving others. Jesus' presence brought that on. And how did the populace of Jesus' day receive those and the other changes? Not well, not well. They resisted it. The different organizations, the different groups had their own way of resisting it. The Pharisees resisted the stylistic change. And again, I won't go into detail, but just to kind of give you a broad brush overview of that. The Sadducees resisted the the sociological or the social changes. The scribes resisted the theological changes. They were the experts. Wait a second, he's messing with us. That's not what we know to be true. The kings resisted the political change. They had all the power, and he came and took that power. They didn't like that. And the merchants resisted the economic change. He kind of messed with their business. He also messed with the practitioners of the occult. They resisted the spiritual change because they had this great gig going on. And they're like, that just changed. He messed with them. And the key issue raised by his opponents was the legitimacy of the changes that he brought. What right did he have to change things? They asked. Who is this guy? What right does he have to do that? So we're going to look at a familiar and lengthy passage this morning. I'm going to read it where Jesus addresses some of these issues. I'm going to read in Luke 5, 27. If you've got your electronics, I'm not going to put it on the screen because it's too much. So if you've got your electronics, if you've got your Bible, Luke 5, 27, I'm going to read it through 6, 11. Um, side note, I was at a legislative briefing this week uh, talking about the issues regarding pro-life. Interesting, all the big political figures were there. And he prayed for us. One of the pastors there prayed for us. And we all were seated while he prayed for us. And then it was time for the Pledge of Allegiance. And we all stood. I thought, something's a little ironic there. That we are standing to pledge or to commit our allegiance to the U.S. But we comfortably sit while we speak about our allegiance or our pledge to God. 
And something just sort of resonated with me in a really awkward, like, sour note kind of a way. And so not any big production, but I just wanted to, to stand this morning as I read the word, just out of reverence that this is the holy scriptures of God. So stand, if you would, read silently with me, Luke 5, 27, and then we'll, we'll see it after, after I'm done reading. Luke 5, 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and he left everything and he followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. And so he got up and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good? or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. And they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And God, we just stand as a a symbolic way of saying we We revere your word. We live by your word. And this morning we're drinking in your word for the purpose of changing us. God, you are the great change agent, and you communicate that through this passage. Thank you for the clarity through this passage, God. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. See, these verses portray Jesus as the change agent, don't they? He's messing with all kinds of stuff, all kinds of tradition. 
And as I said before, there was a growing tension between the religious establishment and Jesus as a result of all the changes. See, they couldn't handle or they, they, they couldn't understand the introduction of grace. It was by the grace of God that Jesus would choose a, a scumbag like a tax collector to follow him. It was by the grace of God that Jesus would put up with a, a religious doubters and, and even engage with those guys. It was by the grace of God that Jesus would choose low-life fishermen as disciples. And those were, those were all huge changes in that culture. And the changes Jesus brought about impacted their society, their theology, and their livelihood. And Jesus defended his right to bring change by painting four short word pictures. And you heard them throughout that. Of a doctor, a bridegroom, garment, and a wineskin. See, he reached out to them through his words, and then he also, through his actions, when he defended disciples for for picking and, and eating the grains of wheat on the Sabbath. So when you think of change, though, there's two extremes to avoid. One is that all change is bad, which is sort of a reactionary. But the other extreme on the other end of the continuum is that all change is good, which can be sort of a a personality that just is never satisfied with the status quo. They always want something different, something new. And so neither extreme is really very healthy. So we're trying to understand what did Jesus mean and what, do we, what does it mean for today on the change agent? Or was that simply a historical concept that happened, it's done, it's fine, and doesn't affect us today? And I'm arguing that it does affect us today. And that passage, I think, can relate to us. And here's how I think it can relate to us. So let me go through the, some of the, the ways that Jesus used in his talk. From the image of the doctor, he, he shared with us that change is helpful. See, we don't go to a doctor to feel worse, but sometimes the doctor brings changes that feel worse initially for long-term benefits. Change is helpful. I had a great time skiing skiing a couple weeks ago, but the mountain and I didn't agree. And the mountain came up to meet my shoulder in a very impactful way, and it wasn't a pleasant way. And so I'm going to go to the doctor, and I might have to actually have shoulder surgery, which means things will get worse before they get better. But long-term, I like surgery because I had it on my other side, and it worked really well. So change can be helpful, but initially it can look a little dark. That certainly the girls from the Daughter Project, they're getting ripped out of this culture, and they're getting, it's, it's dark, they're, they're confused, and, and eventually the change is for the better if they embrace the change. So from the bridegroom, we also learn that change is seasonal. Change is seasonal. Knowing the season that you are in and flowing with that season is one of the most important keys to rightly processing change. Now, change that we don't initiate or instigate is never comfortable. It's something that's changed around us. We think about the obvious connection would be Northwest Ohio weather. Who likes Northwest Ohio weather? But we live here. We have to embrace the season that we're in. And now we're all joyously embracing the busting of spring coming out. And I saw life in my backyard yesterday for the first time in seemingly years, but of course it was only months. The other obvious connection is the change this church is going through is a season of change. We all have our own opinion of this change, but there's definitely a season of change. And change is the hardest part for human existence. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. That was true with the folks Jesus was talking to, and that was true also of us today. 
So change is helpful. Change is seasonal. But from the garment and the wineskin, we, we, we understand that change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. Resisting change will not keep it from happening. As the folks in Jesus' day found out. If you put new wine into old wineskins, it's going to bust it out. It's not going to work. If you try to attach a new patch to an old garment, it's not going to fit in. The new patch will shrink. It ain't going to work. Tradition must never be valued more than truth. There's nothing wrong with tradition until truth overrules it. Jesus' hearers were very comfortable with tradition, and Jesus brought truth. And from the response of the people listening to Jesus, we understand that change can be emotional. Next one, change can be emotional. Even positive change can produce negative emotions. Jesus was sensitive to their feelings, but he was also bold. Jesus was a bold change agent. And change takes time to process. Letting go of the old and enthusiastically embracing the new takes time. If you've lived any length of time, you can obviously say amen to that. But living, living it out is not easy. Here's a quote. I don't know who said it. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Why? Because you become sort of paralyzed emotionally or mentally paralyzed. So Jesus often talked about the magnitude of attitude. How important attitude was in the changes that he was bringing about. And how important it is in the changes he's bringing about in my life and our life. See, the change needs to occur on the inside before it can be perfected or, or exhibited on the outside. And those are all emotional transactions. And the fifth thing is as a change agent, his changes were often controversial. Change can be controversial. The greatest, the greater the attachment to the old, the greater the controversy. See, the laws that Jesus was overriding with grace was all they had ever known in their whole life and the life of their ancestors for generations. And there was a tremendous attachment and a tremendous controversy. Jesus was patient, and he was persistent. He knew the changes were the will of his Father. And lastly, all change that is not theoretical is personal. Change can be very personal. We need to make up our own mind. Do we want the new wine, or do we want the old wineskin? Because we'll either resist, resent, reject change, or we'll receive and we'll rejoice in change. Jesus spoke to the people in that day that change was a part of life and was essential to growth in the spiritual dimension. The only thing in the universe that doesn't change is God of heaven and his words. His words will never change us. We must change in response to them. And so I'll circle back to the question I asked right at the beginning as I bring us to a close. How has Jesus changed your life in the past? Maybe some great historical reflection on that and some real encouragement as you look in the past and see how God has kind of lined things up. And then equally, if not a bit more important, is how is Jesus changing you now going forward? Because it doesn't stay the same. It's always changing. 
We see that exhibited in children. They're always growing. They're always changing. My sweet little daughter who's here today, it was just a couple days ago I was holding her in my arms. And now look at her. She's all grown up and she's going to hold, be holding somebody else in her arms. Change always happens. How is Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through life, through relationships, through circumstances, through environment, how is he changing your life currently? Receive Jesus' words as coming from the greatest change agent and his life example as encouragement for your own personal change of journey. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray. The worship team can come up, and then we're going to end. Let's stand together and pray together. Father God, thank you for allowing us to be part of your tapestry. God, thank you for allowing us, thank you for being graceful enough with us to take our broken, defective, sin-filled, hard-headed minds and bodies and continuing to conform them to your image. And God, thank you for the process that you take us through for change. Thank you for loving us enough to accept us the way we are, but loving us so much that you don't want to leave us the way we are. God, we love you. In Jesus' name.